Well, good morning, Freedom Church. My name is Benito Frescas. I'm the lead pastor. And before we get into our uh, much-anticipated love and marriage series, I got a couple of announcements to, to make. Actually, one huge announcement I want to keep you updated. As some of you guys know God has been doing some amazing things here at Freedom Church. We were able to purchase 11 acres on uh, there in West Round Rock off San Bass Road, and we've been raising some money for that. I just want to give you some totals right now. We have $172,686,000 pledged, and we've already, as of today, have had $34,482.01 come in. That is awesome, and I know a lot of people are asking, Benito, where are we going? What's happening? When is the church going to be built? And all those different things. Man, we are working on that uh, as much as we can, but any of you guys that have done any type of building or construction know there's a lot of permitting and a lot of red tape with the city and everything that got to take, has to take place with that, so one of the big challenges that we kind of ran, in, ran into, because we're right there on the, the, the Brescia Creek, so we had to get a flood study done. And there was a lot of red tape dotting the I's, crossing the T's with the flood, the flood study that a couple times they threw it back to us. But I got the good news to say today, as of, I think what was Wednesday this week, the city has finally accepted our flood study. Yes! So, so what that means is, on May 7th, we're going to be have the final plat. We'll have everything reorganized and everything set up. So we'll have the construction documents turned in. So from that time, it'll be 60 to 90 days that we can actually break ground. So we're looking at the end of July, probably August. But that's awesome, right? Probably almost a, almost a year since we bought it. We're going to break ground, and things are going awesome with that. So thank you for your giving. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your praying for that. So uh I may, and I also want to keep you updated. Remember we said that one and, that one and a half house, that one and a half acres that we're going to sell. We've been working to some details, meeting back and forth with that. But on May 7th, in the morning, we're going to sell that piece of property for the $330,000. So we were able to get the parking. We're doing all the, legalist, all the legalities and getting everything set up with all that. So thank God everything is working with that. So May 7th is a big day. We signed that. So once we signed that with the donor gift that we have, that's $500,000 that we have already to start the building of the building. How amazing is that? Only God. Only God. But one thing that, that we have, uh, it's not really a problem. It depends how you look at it. Here, here's what it is. On May 7th in the afternoon, too, uh, I don't know if you guys, how many are homeowners? A lot of y'all are homeowners. Every year, the county comes and they try to raise the value of your properties, right? Oh, and they try to get your properties up. And they think that there's gold here in the Round Rock land, so it's going up again. So, so here's the good thing. We bought the property in August for $1.1 million dollars. So now the Williamson County has done the assessment with the houses and everything come back, and they told us right now that our property is worth $2.5 million. Oh, you ain't lying. Hey, we don't want it to be worth $2.5 million. That's more taxes we got to pay. Like, once we start yielding, we're tax exempt. They tell us it's worth $5 million. Two years, but we got to pay taxes on it right now. You know, so I'm going to be protesting on May 7th, uh, Wellington County, we're going to go down there. I'm getting all my ducks in a row. You've, you've done a lot of protesting. I've called different people. Maybe give me some advice, too. They're going through all those different areas. So pray that we get that protest going in, and then we're able to get that because $2.5 million, that's a lot of money, a lot of money in taxes that we'll have to pay. But here's the great news. Once we start breaking the ground, we've already filed for a tax exemption. Once that's actually the ground starts turning, we'll be tax exempt for those different things. But... It's not tax exempt yet. So pray for favor that we're not going to pay twice the amount of taxes with that. So just some things. Keep you updated. Exciting things. Let you know what's going on. But we're excited for all that God is doing. Now, after that commercial, now we go to the love and marriage series. Here we go. See, 
our culture conditions us to believe a lie of what love looks like. For example, we all grew up watching Cinderella. You did, not me. I'm a manly man. I didn't watch Cinderella. I watched Lion King. That's what I watched. I watched Mufasa beat up the hyenas. Well, the rest of you grew up watching uh, Cinderella. And Cinderella was a story about how life is so, so miserable and difficult until, of course, your prince, charming, or your princess comes around and you get married and you get married and it's life happily ever after. Never another problem. And people are obsessed with finding this happily ever after love. According to Bustle.com, American singles spend 10 hours a week on dating sites and apps. They check it 10 times a day for 9 minutes. They did all this study. Like, they're obsessed with finding love. Let, let me tell you some of the sites that are out there you can find love. The first one is this. It's a true site. It's called TheUglyBugBall.com. Their motto is this, dating for the aesthetically average. If you're ugly, no problem. They'll find somebody for you. There's somebody for everybody. But you're like this, man, that's not me. I'm good looking. If you hit the DNA jock jackpot like Noel right here, there's dating sites out for you too. There, it's called beautifulpeople.com. Here it goes. This site says it's an exclusively beautiful community. To become a member, applicants are recorded, they're required to be voted on by existing members. Members rate the new applicants over a 48 period whether or not they find the applicant beautiful. And if you're able to secure enough votes, you are included into the beautifulpeople.com. Ask Pastor Jonathan. He got into that. I Man, he's, he, he's actually right there. and he's, That's where he's looking for. Right? Yeah. He'll tell you all about that. There, there, there's, a, there's another one that's called uh, farmersonly.com. You guys seen this? You don't have to be lonely thanks to farmersonly.com. City folk just don't get it, and we don't get it, right? It's like all these. And then there's even some dating sites for your food preferences. How about this one? Gluten-free singles. Man, if you don't want gluten, just say hey, this. This will. You guys will never argue about dinner or where you eat out. This is like, like perfect. And then, of course, there is christianmingle.com. Our culture is searching for a love that will lead to a happily ever after life. But reality is most relationships don't have a happily ever after start. The statistics are staggering on divorce. Is it even possible to have a happily ever after love? But Paul says it is. But it looks different than what the culture says and what Cinderella says. It's what the Bible says, and it's defined in scriptures and through the person of Jesus Christ. And in one of the classic Bible passages on marriage, Paul writes and he tells us what this true love looks at and what we're really longing for. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look through verses 21 through 33, but I want to start with verse 31 this morning, and I want to break down what the scriptures say. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. I want you to circle, underline, highlight, smiley faces. This mystery is profound, talking about marriage. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Paul says it's a mystery how two become one. I think it's an equally profound mystery how one become two. How can two people go from talking on the phone for hours, from just not saying nothing, falling asleep, saying, just breathe, baby. And all of a sudden, a couple of years later, the only way they communicate is through attorneys. How can you go from being the person that laughs at all your husband's jokes or all your boyfriend's jokes that now says, can't you ever be serious? You're always joking all the time, you tell them. It's been said that opposites attract and then opposites attack. 
One comedian said it like this. My wife and I were happy for 20 years and then we met each other. <laughs> Marriage is difficult. <laughs> so you are laughing like I get that. I relate to that. So if you're here this morning and you say, you know what? Marriage, I've been married for about over five years. Raise your hand if you've been married over five years. Everybody raise your hand. Well, if you've been married, if you've been, so everybody that's been married over five years, everybody's married over five years. How many of you guys would say that it's easy? Keep your hand raised. Never had a fight. Never had an argument. Uh, only Nevaehs. Yeah, you see me and I'm mom. Yeah, that's right. That's what I'm talking about. Now. Yeah, been married, but my daughter's back there raising her hand. Yeah, she's seen a couple of fights with her. But, you know, here's what I'm saying. Marriage is hard. Marriage is difficult. Marriage is a challenging thing. But in Ephesians 5, Paul gives us three realities about marriage. And he gives us two responsibilities that are gender specific that will sustain us through the rough passages, the rough uh, patches of marriage. But before we go into this passage, I want to want you to understand three things. When I'm talking about this passage, Paul is talking about marriage, not dating. Only in marriage is death do us part. In dating, you have another option. Here's the option. It's called scroll, select, delete. Practice with me. Scroll, select, delete. That means if you find somebody who's selfish, if you find somebody who's rude, somebody that's always thinking about themselves, somebody that has wants nothing to do with Jesus, here is your option. Scroll, select, delete. Get rid of them because 50% of marriage is the selection process. I would say it's probably 80% is the selection process. The second thing is I'm not talking about your past. I'm talking about your present. So no matter what your marriage is or has been or where you've been through, that's the Bible says the old is gone and the new has come. The good thing to say is from this day forward, this is the way I'm going to do it. And the third thing is I'm not encouraging anybody in any way, listen to me closely, to stay in a physically abusive relationship. If you're in an abusive relationship, you don't call on Jesus. You call the police. That's a serious, serious thing. But when I'm talking about the other stuff of marriage, this is going to challenge you. So let's unpack what Paul says about marriage, starting with verse 31. He says, the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Paul explains to us that marriage was given as a sign. It points to a higher reality. God created marriage to model the love of Christ for the church. It's what it says, referring to that. And C.S. Lewis, when reflecting on this verse, described marriage as a ray of sunshine. When the ray hits your face and it warms your face, you look back up at the ray and you don't really look at the ray. What you do is your attention is on the sun where that ray comes from. So the reality is this. The ray of God's love, marriage is one of the millions of rays of the love that we really long for. See, this is what we want to do. We want to be known and we want to be loved. Every one of us. To be known and, to be known and not loved is rejection. To be loved and not known as sentimentality. But the way that we find this is in the love of Christ. God knows all our sins. He knows all our struggles. He knows all our messes up. And he loves us anyways. He doesn't reject us. And the way that this takes place is in marriage. That's why the Bible says they're naked and not ashamed. All their flaws. All those things that you look at and somebody still loves you. And the Bible says marriage is just a reflection of the true love. And that love is the love of God. And here is the first biblical reality about marriage. This is deep. This is the most important. Unless you understand this, you will not get what Paul is teaching us in this passage. Here it is. Marriage is not ultimate. It's a sign of a higher reality. The love that you were created for is Christ's love. Listen to what Jesus said here in Matthew 22, verse 30. He said, in the resurrection, when we die, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. 
says, when we get to heaven, Jennifer and I will not be married. There will be no marriage in heaven. I've often thought what that's going to be like when I see Jennifer in heaven and I look at her and I say, yo, you remember me? We had babies together. Uh-huh. You might remember that. Like, like, like what's it going to look like? Sometimes when I think that we're not married, it tempts me to be sad a little bit. But I know that whatever God has planned for us will better be better than what we have right now. The point is this. Jesus said marriage is not eternal. It's not going to last. It's not ultimate. It's a picture. It's temporary. Like, like, for example, going back to Jennifer and I, we dated way back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And uh, we, had a, we, we met in college. First six months, we met face-to-face. It was awesome. It was incredible. And the last six months, we had a long-distance relationship. I was working at a church, and she was going to Bible college. And back then, long-distance relationships were difficult. There was no Instagram. There was no Facebook. There was no FaceTime. All we had was these things called Polaroid pictures <laughs> and rotary phones where you just talk to somebody over and over. But you're like trapped in there. Like, how do you go to bed? I'm losing circulation. And this is what I would do when I would talk to her. I would just talk to her and I'd go to my room and I, she had this picture, a picture that, that I had saved. And I would just look at her and I'd go, oh, Jennifer. <laughs> I miss you. So beautiful. I'm looking into your eyes right there. And there's a, and the, the Polaroid camera. And, and, and I love that. I looked at that picture 10 times a day for six months. And then we got married. I didn't even know where the picture lies because I got the real thing. I don't need the picture anymore. And that's the point. That marriage is a picture to the great reality that we need. We long for this love. We long for this acceptance. We long for the security. But we're not going to need it anymore when we get to heaven. Because we're not going to need to be fulfilled with a person else. We have the ultimate love of God. And that's what marriage is. Marriage is just a picture of what we really need. That's why it's going to be gone. That's why it's going to be irrelevant in heaven. But I don't want to miss the importance of the sign. It's one of God's very best gifts to us. It's an indispensable part of God's created order. But life goes wrong when you make the symbol ultimate, when you take a good gift and you make it God. How does this happen? How do we make marriage into a God? What happens is when your happiness, your self-worth is dependent on being loved romantically. And you see this in our culture. Man, Nicholas Sparks movies, people want to be loved, dating shows, Bachelor, all these different things. Like, I mean, you see it in Jerry Maguire where Tom Cruise looks at Renee Zil- Zilweger and whether you're, roma- you're a romantic fool, you go, oh, that was awesome. Or you're like me, you like throw up in your mouth where she says, you complete me. Remember that scene? Here's the reality. You weren't created to be completed by the love of another human being. Only the love of Christ can complete us. And when we look our spou- at our spouse to make us feel like somebody, when we look like our, at our spouse to make us feel complete, secure, when we look to our spouse to make it feel like we have purpose on life, when we do that, we are setting them up with expectations to me- make us, fa- to fail us. Because they were not designed to carry the weight of your soul. And the reason that many of us are aggravated, the reason that many of us get frustrated is because we put expectations on somebody. And this is not just marriage. This could be a friendship, a relationship, a brother, a sister. We put this weight on somebody that they were never designed to carry. It's kind of like this. Man, Jennifer and I just, just came back from a cruise. And in the cruise, there's these, these, um, there's these elevators that are going up all the time. You take all, all these elevators. And, man, in a cruise, you're eating all the time. There's some bigger people on the cruise. Sometimes everybody's just trying to get up and down real quick. And me and the girls are right there, right there. And sometimes we're coming in, and I see maximum capacity, 2,000 pounds. And every once in a while, you'll have all these people. And I mean big people just walk up into the elevator, big ones. Boom, and be like, boom, you're feeling everything. And, 
and I'm doing the math in my head. I'm, I'm, I'm under 200, but like they're like way bigger than me. They're three, three, three. three. <laughs> I think we should get out now. Oh, I don't want to risk it, right? Have you ever been in an elevator and it's just like the, the capacity of the weight in there is like you don't want to push the limits. And every one of us, man, I will challenge you at the end of this message, get a marker and put it on the forehead of your husband and your wife. Warning cannot weigh, bear the weight of your soul. You, your husband, your wife cannot meet your deepest needs. And the reason that you're frustrated and the reason that you're mad, the reason that you're so, oh, I wish they were this. I wish they would do this. I wish they were more like this. You're going to be wishing the rest of your life because God never created you to find that love in a person. Here's what I've learned over 20 years of being married and doing marriage counseling. There's no such thing as marriage problems. No such thing. There's only single people problems, and then they get married. Seriously. You don't have marriage problems. You have you problems. Problems like lust and loneliness and insecurity and unhappiness are not cured by another human being. Dr. Gary Thomas says this, marriage doesn't really create problems. It just reveals problems. So when... The problem isn't that they squeeze the toothpaste at the bottom or squeeze it at the top or don't put the toilet paper back or anything. No, those are issues that you have inside that you got to deal with. And what happens is marriage is the arena where all of a sudden just gets explosive like gas on fire. Boom! And that would describe many of your marriages right now. But this is the most important thing. You were created to find love and fulfillment in Christ. And the reason that you're so frustrated right now with life is that you are looking to a spouse, a person to fill a void that only God can fill. This is what a healthy marriage says. A healthy marriage says life is good with you, but I can live without you because my security is in Christ. We should never tell our spouse, I can't imagine what life would be without you. You know, we can because we have Christ. So I'm so glad. It's awesome, man. I'm glad you God gave me as your partner. But if you would die, it'd be all right because my security is not found in a person. It is found in Jesus. And this right here, I'm telling you, is the major problem in marriage. We come and we put weights and expectations on a person that they can never, ever live up to. Because marriage is a sign to the greatest love that we're looking for, and that's the love of Christ. Second thing. That Paul teaches about marriage is this, that marriage is covenant. It's not a contract. It's not even chemistry. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Paul here is quoting Genesis 2.24. The Hebrew word one flesh here means covenant. A covenant is a deep, legal, personal, permanent commitment. Next week, we're going to dig deep into this, and we're going to look at the differences between a contract marriage and a covenant marriage. So I'll just briefly just go over it quickly this morning. In the Old Testament, the way people would get married is they would come and they would stand before a priest that would represent God and they would go through this ceremony signifying the joining together of their lives. And to complete the ceremony, I've told you this, they would go into a room that was called the chupa. And you're going to see why they called it the chupa because there's a hubba hubba in there. What is it? The chupa was like the bridal chamber. It's where the virgin groom and the virgin bride would go and they would literally place a towel on their bed and they would make love. It would be intimate. And as the virgin husband would enter the virgin wife, she would shed blood on the towel. And then after they were finished consummating their marriage, they would open up the windows and they would hold up the towel with the blood stain out and showing that their marriage was consummated and the covenant of marriage was sealed with the shedding of blood and everybody would cheer. Awkward! 
Can you imagine going to a wedding ceremony and they're like, whoa, you're like, TMI, TMI. <laughs> but that's how they did it back then. Aren't you thankful we don't do that? <laughs> oh, Lord, especially as a dad, you're like, heck, no, I'll be shooting somebody. <laughs> Get blood on your head, you punk. <laughs> Here's the point. Marriage is a sacred. It's a holy moment. It's the joining together of two lives. But most of our marriages, they're not based on covenant. They're based on a contract. There's a huge difference between contract and covenant. A contract is based on mutual distrust. What a contract does, a contract limits my responsibility and increases my rights. It says, as far as you're in, I'm in. But if you don't do what you're agreed to do, I will terminate the relationship right now. But marriage isn't a contract. It's a permanent covenant relationship. It says, I'm in no matter what. That's why we should never give up on marriage. I've heard many excuses for people giving up on their marriage. I'm not happy. He's not this. He's not that. I don't love her anymore. Getting a divorce for, because you're falling out of love is like selling your car because you don't have any gas in it. Tim Keller says it like this. Marriage is not a declaration of present love. It's a promise of future love. It's a promise not to feel warm and loving because nobody can promise that, but it's a promise to be loving and tender towards your spouse regardless of the ups and downs of emotions. Our culture puts more value on chemistry than it does covenant. Every song, everything that we do, every movie is, oh, you got chemistry. Do you guys have chemistry? God can care less about your chemistry because chemistry won't last you. Everything in our culture idolizes chemistry. The great poet and thinker W.H. Auden said this, any marriage, happy or unhappy, is infinitely more interesting than any romance, however, any romance, however passionate. So powerful. And then he said this, marriage is not the involuntary result of fleeting emotion, but creation of time and will. That's deep. I remember when I first started dating Jennifer, I couldn't eat around her. Man, literally, man, you can tell I could eat now, obviously. I've made up for last time. But we'd go out on dates, we'd go to these expensive restaurants, and I would just look at her, and I'm like, oh, you're so pretty. Are you hungry? No. I'm just filling up in your love. She'll tell you, like, she thought I didn't eat. No, I was just puppy love, sick. And then I, I remember the first time, like, like we actually, would, like, we'd just play around, and like, we'd just mess around like this. We'd rub arms and rub shoulders. I remember one time, like, our hands actually got together. I was like, oh, Lord. So soft. She smells so good. And when we interlocked hands for the first time, I was like, ah, thank you, Jesus. Revival. I was like, yes. Oh, man, I've never felt so close to God. Woo. It was awesome. And, and then we kissed. Woo, I couldn't stand up. Like, Lord, what's going on inside of me? Ah. And now people ask me. After all these years, do you feel that same electricity today? The answer is no. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Look, I can eat. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> and I would hope not. Here's the reason why. The chemistry or the thrill our culture tells us to chase is centered around ego and selfishness. It's all about you. You're excited about love, but you're excited about love for all the reason. What's so thrilling is somebody that you think is pretty, somebody you think is hot, she's into you. 
She held your hand back. She kissed you back. She likes you back. Oh, it's awesome. She's responding to me, to me, to me. So this need of affirmation we all have is getting filled. And of course that feels awesome, but it's shallow because it's about you and your feelings. It's like a drug. There's actually a song way back in the day that says, your love's like a drug, your love's like a drug, your love's like a drug. You guys remember that? Way back in the day, Keisha or somebody sing it or whatever. It is. But uh, your love is like a drug. And that's what it is. Love is like a drug. Psychologist tells us that this infatuation stage lasts about 18 months. And after 18 months, it wears off and you go to the next person or the next thing. It's the romance stage that some psychologists say. When romance happens, we hit reality. It's when moonlight and midnight give way to daylight, diapers and dishes. Oh, my. You know? You see every fly. You smell every fart. You're like, oh, Lord. That's how you look in the morning. It's a little bit different. You know, there's, there's, just a, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of things. This is where marriages fall apart. And after the romance stage is done, it lasts 18 months at the most. After the romance stage is done, you got two choices. You can release. Done with this one. This love, this drug ain't working anymore. I got to get some other stuff. And that's where people go from relationship to relationship to relationship. Or you can re-engage. You can recommit. And you can discover what true love really is. Tim Keller in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, quotes a study that two-thirds of all marriages that say they're unhappy, if they stay together five years later, they're happy. Because marriage is more than just feelings and passion. Marriage is created over time. It's created through difficulty. Love is created through ups and downs, through struggle, through disease. You learn to love through the difficulty. That's what we long for. We want an unconditional love, not some cheap feeling. So we only can be in the love of Christ. See, you can have a so-called night of passion and not be willing to make any sacrifices, but in marriage, you're forced to sacrifice your preferences. How many say Amen. You have to live for somebody else's joy, somebody else's happiness, somebody else's well-being. It's not all about you. And I remember being a young man and going to visit my grandpa and grandma Fresquez. I want to see this. That's my grandpa. His name was Concepcion. His name was Conce Fresquez. And that's my grandma Porfiria, but they called her Porfi. And let me tell you about them. They're, they're some of my heroes. They were married 67 years. Awesome, awesome people. Some of the most devout Loving people that told me how to love Jesus, taught me how to love Jesus. And I told you last week that grandma, for the last 10 years, was diagnosed with Parkinson's and, and Alzheimer's. And I remember coming home from break or coming to visit grandpa from college. And I'd see grandpa and he'd, he'd call me and I'd see him. He was hugging. Jennifer will tell you towards the end. He'd be holding her hand. He'd be cooking for her. He'd be kissing his porphy all the time. He'd just be loving her. And then he'd call me. He'd say, He says, son, come over here. And he'd put his arm around me. And he'd tell me something that, that blew my mind. He said, Mijito, she says, my son in Spanish says, I've never loved your grandma more. I love her so much. I'll do anything for her. She's my bride. And, and I'm thinking to myself, Grandpa, like, this doesn't make sense at the time. Like, like, Grandma, I saw pictures. She was a knockout. She was beautiful. She was smart. And, oh, she could. She could. But right now, all she does, she's wrinkly. She just poops. she got to change her diaper. She gives you nothing in return. Like, like Grandpa, how, how can you not? How have, like, I, I don't understand. How can you, like, say you love her more than you've ever loved her in your entire life, Grandpa? 
And grandpa would go on and he had a heart attack during that 10 years and he fought and he fought and he worked through that heart attack. He so desperately wanted to stay alive. Jennifer will tell you, and he wanted to stay alive because he was afraid that nobody would take care of his Porphy like he would take care of Porphy. And towards the end, his body was given out. He was 89 years old. He calls his sons and daughters, seven brothers and sisters towards the room and he calls them in and he says this, here's what I want you to promise me. I want you to promise that you take care of my Porphy. I want you to use all my money. I want you to use all my resources. I want you to use everything I have. Don't put her in a nursing home. Take care of her. That's what I promise. Please promise me to do that. And after everybody promised, Grandpa passed away. And my uncles and aunts took care of my grandma for another two years before she passed away. That's love. Grandpa, love wasn't about selfish feelings and emotions and fleeting desires. It was selfless and sacrificing. It was the love that every one of us longed for. We hear those stories and that's what we want. That's the story of love. Ups and downs and struggles and battles and facing life's challenges and love prevailing because that love is only found in Christ. It's a measure of the gospel because here's what I want you to understand. Marriage was designed to teach us the gospel. It's a mystery. And look what it says. It, re it refers to Christ and the church. That's what it's all about. It's a mystery. It says, there's, see, nothing has taught me more about the gospel than being married to Jennifer. It's taught me more than Bible college, more than years of preaching. I've learned more about living out the gospel in marriage than anything else. Paul said this in verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. The word submit means that I'm going to make your desires, your wishes, your dreams a priority over mine. Paul says that same selfless, sacrificial love that we received from Christ, we wish we should take this same debt-free relationship that we've received to Christ and give it to our spouses. Tim Keller calls this love philanthropy. Why can philanthropists give so much money to charity and not expect anything in return? Because he is making so much money over here that it's easy to give it away here. And you can only keep loving as long as you're receiving love. And if you keep going back to a person, regardless of what that person is, you'll go bankrupt because there'll be a day that that love will be declined. And what you need to do is you need to find your meaning. You need to find your love. You need to find your love tank full on the love of God. It needs to be so full because there'll come a time, and some of you guys are already facing it, where the person that you love is not going to love you back. They're not going to serve you back. They're not going to go after you. But he says, it's not about how they love me. Christ, you are the model and I will pursue them just like you pursued me when I was rebellious when I was falling from you when I didn't say no to you when I said yes to me God I still love you even in those times I can't tell you how many times I've been so mad at Jennifer when she didn't want to do something I wanted to do because that's why we get mad when we don't get things our way my feelings were hurt and I felt these ill feelings towards Jennifer and then I felt the Lord say Benito that's how I felt towards you. That feeling of anger, feeling of rejection, feeling of loneliness. And all of a sudden, these feelings that weren't good that were towards Jennifer all of a sudden turned towards repentance to God. And all of a sudden, I had this desire to love Jennifer just like Christ loved me. So I serve her and pursue her as Christ did me. See, the gospel will change the way you view marriage. It must. Marriage is not about what somebody can do for you, but how God wants to love another person fully through you. That's what marriage is. And that's why we're so frustrated. That's why there's so much divorce. That's why there's so much challenges. Because we have this false view 
of marriage. But what did Paul say? Love just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So I start off this series not by getting all practical, not by giving you a whole bunch of to-do lists, because all those things will not work unless we understand truly what the framework of marriage is according to the Bible. But Paul understood that too. Then all of a sudden he gets real practical. So now we're going to come down to earth. What does this mean for me? Paul closes this discourse on marriage by giving us practical steps, two responsibilities that are gender specific. So ladies, I'm coming at you hard. Here we go. Verse 33. This is a Paul saying, let the wife see that she respects, circle, underline, highlight, smiley face, that one respects her husband. Here is the responsibility Paul gives to the wives. Respect your husband. In all seriousness, this is a very simple yet profound concept. God created man in his own image with a desire to be respected. It's the number one need that he has. And if he's not getting respect, if he's, that's why the culture wants to dehumanize. That, that's why, that's why the, the culture wants to devalue the man. They're, they're always making fun of him in shows. There's no respect for him. They're just, they're, respect is something that God created, and honor is something that men need. And ladies, the average man, there's no opinion that matters more to him than yours does. Your words weigh a million pounds to him. Some of you wives, you want your husbands to be more respectable. He said, man, if you would be more respectable, then I'd respect him. Maybe if you respect him, he'll be more respectable. So there's two goals to really get this. First goal, first way to get this goal, to get him to be respectable is this. You can do this. You can nag him. You can disrespect him. You can be blah, 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 blah. Why don't you do this? And all they're hearing is their mom. They're tuning out like, that never works. Nagging never works. So here's the second thing you can do. You can pray for him. You can respect him even when he isn't worth respecting because you're respecting God. So here's the question, ladies. How do you respect your husband? Do you undermine his authority? Do you devalue his decisions? How do you talk about your husband? What if we recorded the way you talked to your husband this week, this morning? How would it sound? What do you say about your husband in the presence of your children, in the presence of other people? Oh, your dad's such an idiot. He's dumb. He never makes the right decisions anyways. Ah, he's such a moron. What you're doing is you're teaching your children and people the dishonor and disrespect. Let me tell you, this is what the enemy tries to do. He'll come in and he will try to bring dishonor to the man of God. It's natural. It comes in. It's part of but what you need to do is you need to fight for honor. So now I'm going to get really, really practical with him. Here we go. Every now and then, ladies, this is what you need to do. You need to sit in the back of your porch, sip some iced tea, and just watch your man mow the lawn. Just look at him the way you used to look at him. Just sit there, sip your tea, and go, mmm, that's my man mowing the lawn. Whoa! I got to get some iced tea just to cool off. So, so this is what will happen. Your husband, who's now middle-aged, middle around the gut, and only has hair growing on the middle top of his head, He's out there mowing the lawn, and he's thinking, man, I got to mow the lawn. I got to do this. I got to do that. He's got all these things going on in his mind. And then he looks up, and he sees you watching him, and he's going to ask, like, what's wrong? And you say, nothing's wrong, baby, but everything's right as I'm just watching here, <laughs> sipping some tea in the back. <laughs> Woo, he's looking good. You're hotter than that July sun. And you're gonna, he's he's going to go from slumping over. His chest is going to go out. He's, he's going to bring up his shoulder. He's going to make sure. Flex some triceps. You'll see, he's even going to turn differently. Boom. He'll even, put a he'll, put, he'll even put a little bounce. He'll give you a little show. Boom, 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 boom. I'm doing this, right? 
He's going to get it going out there. Everything's going to change. In his head, instead of being overwhelmed, he's going to say, I, I still got it. I'm still a man. I might be a little rounder, but I got it. See, if all you ever do is show him his faults, he's going to be thinking that he still lives with his mother. Nagging doesn't work. Prayer and honor does. See, Freedom Church wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my wife, Jennifer. She is, she is no person that's more important with the church being where it's at than her. She has encouraged me when I was scared to death to take a risk and come to Round Rock. She believed in me. She supported me. She was willing to change a complete lifestyle. Man, go without so I could pursue this dream. She respected me even when I didn't deserve respecting me. And believe there have been many moments when I lacked, when I didn't deserve respect. She has never put me down in front of other people. She has always encouraged me. She makes me feel like I can conquer the world. She makes me feel safe. I feel secure with you. Her as my wife. I need that baby. Sometimes I go out in the world and I get beat up and I come back down. But I go to my home and I have a wife that's there caring for me loving for me, valuing me, saying you could do it. So I'm ready to stick out my chest and go, let's make that happen. If you want a godly husband, you got to be a godly wife. That's the way it goes. Hey, girls, we're getting off up. You guys, I'm coming hard at you. You ready? You're like, oh, yeah, that's good preaching. Let's see if you still think it's good after this. <laughs> this is Paul's words, not mine. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wow. Think about the love of Christ, the sacrificial love of Christ, the love that gave everything up for somebody else. That's a huge task. And he says, man, hey, you want to be the leaders? You want all that respect? Earn it. Make it happen. Be respectable. And his responsibility, husband, is to love and serve your wives. Paul is telling us to love them, and this is a sacrificial love. See, I don't know if you've ever seen this at a sporting event. It's called a kissing cam. They just float around the camera and on the crowd, and they'll land on a couple, and they put the picture, and they make it awkward, and they're supposed to look at each other and kiss. I, I saw this clip of a kissing cam. It's pretty interesting. Watch the screens. It's pretty funny. This guy's distracted. He's like, hey, we're there. Give me some lip. Uh, give me some lip. No, I'm talking. Got a business deal. Whew. Man, he may taking advantage of it, right? Ain't no shame in my game. Coming back, coming back to him. Like, hey, look. Leave me alone. I'm trying to make us some money. Whoa! Uh, uh, they took away his love. He's like, what happened? Stop checking your Facebook. You know, bro, come on. When I saw that, I loved it. My, like, that, that, that punk deserved that. But then I thought, you know, unfortunately, too often, I'm that guy. I'm distracted. I'm selfish. I'm caught up in my own interests rather than my wives. And honestly, I'm just grateful that I've had many moments like that. They were just caught up on the camera and shown to every one of you. Studies show that men will shape an 
many ways the way a wife will view herself. Bill McCartney, the founder of Promise Keepers, who literally ministered to millions of men, says this, if you want to know about a man's character, then look into the face of his wife. And whatever he, whatever he has invested in or withheld from her will, will be reflected in her countenance. Men, if people were look into the eyes of your wife this afternoon, what would they see? Same is true for your daughters. We have to be a voice that's telling our wives that they're beautiful. I love you. Man, you're still beautiful. You still got it. I, I still got eyes for you. If you're here this morning and you no longer feel like you're in love with your wife, let me be real with you. It doesn't matter whether you feel it or not. Biblical love is not a, is a verb. It's a command. It's not a feeling. You are in a covenant. That means you love her when she seems unreasonable. You love her when she doesn't seem to be loving you back. You love her when she doesn't do what you want her to do. You love her and you give her your life. You lay it down. You pursue her like Christ loved you. God is going to hold you accountable, man, for how you love your wife. Wife's got it easy. It's just honor, but you got to love her. You got to give it everything. Let me ask you some questions. You spend extra money on her needs rather than your needs. When you have extra money, do you do what you do want? Do you do what you want or do you do what she wants? Do you thank her for the little small things that she does? Do you watch the kids so she can do what she wants rather than always doing what you want? When's the last time you said, baby, I know we've been spending, we've been saving some extra money. I was going to use it to do so and so, but you know what? Why don't you go get a pedicure and a manicure? I'll watch the kids. You do what you want and you just go down there. You eat steak. I'll eat bologna. You go hang out with your ladies. I'm just going to chill. Do you do that? Are you always thinking about yourself? Man, our job is to love our wives. Because when we do this, she can't help but respect you. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Lord, I thank you for your words that are profound and challenging. Even right now, God, would you speak to us through our actions? Lord, are we honoring? Are we loving? Are we looking for love? in a person, in a place that can never hold the weight of our expectations. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Benito, I've been trying to put expectations on my spouse and they just can't meet. I'm frustrated and I know it's, it's not them, it's me. It's me. Man, I, I don't know why for all this long I'm not, I'm not looking for my satisfaction in Christ. You're here this morning every head bowed and every eye closed. You say, I have put on an unrealistic expectation on my spouse, and that's why I'm frustrated right now. I want you to pray for me that God would redirect my affection towards him. I want you to pray for him. Just raise your hand right there. Put your hand. Just pray for him. That's going on. That's going on. And just say this. Say this prayer. Say, Jesus, I realize that I'm looking for something in my spouse that they can never give me. They were never designed to give it to me. this emptiness and give me security. Only you, God, can fill me up. Jesus, I come to you. I know I need you. I was created to be loved by you, Lord. Help me. So if you have your spouse and they're with you or they're by you, just grab a hold of their hand right there. Hold their hand. Don't you just, just pray over them right there. If you're single, say, Lord, I, I'm not even going to look to person that means a need. I'm going to look to Christ and then I'll truly 
have. But say this. Just pray over them. Say, maybe just confess to them. You know, I, I, I put expectations on you that, I'm, that I shouldn't. I've asked you to do things that you can never do. And as a husband, say, Lord, I'm going to love them. I'm going to love them. And as a wife, say, I'm going to respect you. Man, some of you guys got to go back. You, you got you to gotta, you gotta, you gotta ask for forgiveness. You know what? I haven't been respecting you like I should forgive you. Or some of you husbands got to say, you know, I haven't been loving you like I should. Forgive me. I'm going to do my best. I'm not perfect. Oh, you can only find it in Christ. But I realize I'm my responsibility, and I'm going to do that. Lord, I pray over your people. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, because there's so many challenges, so many struggles. People saying, we've got all these lies about romantic love, but it only points to what we really long for. That is your love, God. Your love. Your love that makes us you. Your love that forgives us. Your love that redeems us, God. We thank you for your love. Freedom Church, this morning, we're going to celebrate that incredible, amazing love of God. The young man who's made a profession of faith and he's going to be baptized today. So direct your attention to the baptismal tank as we celebrate this young man who said, I'm going to follow Jesus. I want purpose. I want meaning. And I know it's not found in anything else. It's only found in Jesus.
Yes, Lord, we thank you, God, for making us white as snow. Thank you, Lord, for the three people we baptized this morning and the one this service, Lord. We, we thank you for uh, three in first service, one in second service. Thank you for the new life. And more than anything else, Lord, we thank you because what we're looking for and what we're longing for and a happily ever after love is not found in a person. Just raise your hand right there. And just right now, just reaffirm it and say, Jesus, you're the love I'm looking for. Lord, I see where I'm trying to put expectations on people, on persons, on things that can never meet it, God. It's just a gift. It's just a gift. I thank you for the gift. But it's just a gift. You are the sun. My marriage is a ray of that one light of that sunshine, Jesus. I love you. Amen. Man, a couple of announcements. Uh, immediately after service, we got like brisket cookouts, hamburgers, hot dogs. We want to invite you, kickball tournament, all kinds of games. We'll see you then. And then next week, we continue in our series. It's going to be powerful. We're going to get real practical. And we're going to talk about the a covenant marriage and a contract marriage. What does that look like? And how do we distinguish between the lies? And then the next week after that, we'll talk about Fighting fair, fighting Jesus style, because there's going to be problems in marriage, right? So we've got to fight like Jesus, fight the right way, and learn how to resolve conflict in marriage. We'll see you next week, and we're really excited about this love and marriage. It goes together like a horse and carriage. We'll see you. God bless.